All right, good evening, everyone. Let us, let us begin. So we are continuing in our journey in Sefer Tehillim. I want to begin by thanking the Engelsberg, Dinovitzer, and Steinberg families for dedicating this series. We hope that in the merit of our Tamil Torah, the Neshama will have an Aliyah and the family in Nechama. We also thank tonight's sheer sponsor, Nina Allen Goldberg, in, for dedicating the sheer commemoration of the first yard site of her mother, Miriam Rosenbaum Garfield, Miriam Bas Avram, Zichron Levracha. We hope that in the merit of our Tamil Torah, the Neshama will have an Aliyah and the family in Nechama. And with that, let us continue. So we are continuing Emirat Hashem this week with where we left off two weeks ago. Apologize that there wasn't sheer last week. But we are continuing in Kapitel Samech chapter 69 in Telem. The truth is, we're going to see this Kapitel is filled with so many incredibly profound ideas. But tonight... I really want to draw your attention to something exceptionally specific. So let's go back for just a moment and take a look at number one. David HaMelech writes as follows, Remember again, in our last year, we pretty much spent the entire time focusing on the concept of Shoshanim. Tonight I want to draw your attention in Pasuk Beis. Hoshi'eni Elokim Kibau Mayim Ad Nafesh. Save me Hashem, because literally for water has come up to my soul. Orders come up to my soul. So obviously, when we take a look at a Pasuk like this, what's the theme that David HaMelech is trying to convey? A theme of? Distress, right? Distress, struggle, drowning. Drowning. Save me, Hashem. Ki ba'umayim ad nafesh. Now, interestingly enough, the Lashon, the wording of ba'umayim ad nafesh, has a connotation of, I have not yet drowned. I have not yet drowned. But HaKadosh Baruch Hu, if you don't step in soon, there's an existential danger of drowning. If you don't intervene soon, if you don't do something soon, I don't know what is going to occur. So David HaMalach conveying distress, Kibam Ayim Ad Navish. But it's interesting to note, there are so many ways throughout Sefer Tum that David HaMalach conveys distress. It's fascinating that in this particular capital, he chooses to express it through this metaphor of water, of drowning in water. So let's take a look at the Mepharshim. So the Mepharshim number two, Eben Ezra says, So again, over here says the Eben Ezra, the metaphor is, David HaMelech is comparing his enemies to water. To water, just like, again, if a person finds themselves in deep water, they are in danger of drowning. So David HaMalek is literally saying, my enemies threaten to drown me. My enemies threaten to overtake me. The Radak says a similar idea. Now again, what's interesting is as far as Radak is picking up on what we just mentioned before. David HaMelech doesn't say, I have drowned. He doesn't say, I have drowned. What does he say? What does he say? I'm in danger. I'm in danger of drowning. You know, what's interesting to note is, one of the incredible things about David HaMelech was a profound sense of self-awareness. David HaMelech understood that there were different levels of crises. You know that there are some people 
that everything is like a four alarm fire, right? Everything is a crisis. Everything is a crisis. And it's like the heavens are falling type of crisis. And then there are people who are a bit more measured. Davana Melech is incredibly self-aware and understands the severity in different types of life crises. So he understands in this particular situation, I haven't drowned. I'm not down and out, but I also recognize that I'm reaching a critical point in my life where if I don't take action soon, I will be lost forever. The water has risen to a point where, again, it's almost overtaken me. Has not overtaken me yet, but is in danger of overtaking me. So the Radak says, who, who are the enemies over here, right? What enemies is David HaMelech referring to? So according to the Radak, David HaMelech is not referring to specific enemies, but rather he's referring to the dynamic of Galos. Remember again, diaspora. David HaMelech, in much of Sefer Tillim, Sefer Tillim could kind of be divided up into three parts. Part, there are certain parts of Sefer Tillim that are retrospective. David HaMelech writing about historical events. There are parts of Sefer Tillim that are contemporary. David Amalek writing about situations and events in his life. And then there are parts of Sefer Tehillim that are future-oriented. Future-oriented. So according to the Radak, when David Amalek writes, Ki ba'umayim ad nafesh, he's referring to future diaspora, to future galos. And the plight or the nature or the difficulty of the Jew in galos is that sometimes he feels, she feels like they're drowning. Literally, again, this could be the Gullah's experience. I feel like I'm drowning. Vukarov Lamos. I don't know how much more I could take of this situation. The Al Sheikh says, adds on another incredible layer of observation here. So before we get to this Al Sheikh, the way the Mafarshim understand over here David Amalek's statement is as follows. So there's a split. Some explain that David HaMelech is referring to his own contemporary troubles. Others say that he's referring to Klal Yisrael's future challenges in the diaspora in Galos. But one thing is clear, that David HaMelech is comparing either his contemporary challenges or the future challenges of Klal Yisrael to drowning in water. I haven't drowned yet, but I feel in danger of totally being lost in the turbulent waters of life. The Al-Sheikh adds on something additional, and he makes an amazing observation. David Amal says, Hashem, save me. Ki mayim ad nafesh. Now, nafesh literally means what? How do we translate it over here? Right? Soul. Now, the truth is, nafesh could also mean life. In other words, when you read this Pasuk, kind of straight out, it's, save me, Hashem. Ki mayim ad nafesh. The waters are about to kill me, to take my life. So the Al-Sheikh says, no. Nafesh means soul. So what does it mean, save me Hashem, for the waters are about to go ahead and have come up, are about to take away my soul. See here the Al-Sheikh says something amazing. The waters of challenge in life do more than just impact you physically. They impact a person spiritually as well. And this is an incredible idea. We spoke about this a number of weeks ago. You know, people often think, that we find God in moments of distress, right? That when there's tension, when there's difficulty, when there's tragedy, when there's adversity, that's when you find God. 
If you ask many people who undergo adversity, difficulty, tragedy, turbulence, and you ask them if they found God in the midst of it, they'll tell you, not at all. Not at all. Why not? Because anyone who's ever gone through suffering knows that when you're in the midst of adversity, it takes almost every single ounce of koach just to put one foot in front of the other. In the midst of difficult times, often there's no bandwidth for spirituality. Now, are there people who find God in the midst of distress and trouble times? There are, there are. But just know there are many people who do not, and not because they're any less from, or not because they're any less spiritual, but because depending on the nature of the adversity, depending on the nature of the challenge, sometimes, and I don't know, maybe, maybe not all of us have experienced this, but there are times in life where literally you have to summon up every piece of energy just to make it through the day, just to be a functional person and get through life. See, here the al says something amazing. David HaMelech says, Ribono Shal Olam, you need to understand. Hoshi'eni, I need you to help me. Kibo Mayim Ad Nafesh. It's not just my physical life that is in danger, but it's my spiritual life that is in danger as well. Because of all of this adversity, all of this difficulty, I can't even find my neshama. I can't even find my ruchnius. I can't even find my holiness. Such an incredibly profound idea that David HaMelech is conveying. We often focus on the impact that suffering has on our physicality, but sometimes don't focus on the impact that suffering has on our spirituality. You know, we're trained to think that suffering, suffering brings you closer to God. It does, except when? When it doesn't, right? It does, except when it doesn't. And by the way, often it doesn't. Often it doesn't. And again, sometimes we feel awkward expressing this because, you know, and, and like in my soul, I feel it's supposed to be the opposite because when I'm suffering, I know how vulnerable I am. And when I experience and I come into contact with my vulnerability, isn't that a time to dafka cling to Hashem even more? And while intellectually that's true, Again, when a person undergoes difficult times in life, like I said before, I have to summon up all of my energy just to make it through the day. That says the al doesn't say ad gufi, right? That the waters are about to overtake my body. ad nafesh. David HaMelech introducing us to the idea that adversity takes its toll on spirituality as well. You know, this, this, by the way, is an interesting idea, just as an aside, you know, there's an interesting discussion in general about schar mitzvah b'hai alma. Is there a reward for mitzvahs in this world or not? So this is an entire a whole discussion. But one of the interesting things that comes up is, if you look in Parshas Bichu Kosai, right? So the Torah speaks about, again, Torah begins, Parshas Bichu Kosai, in Bichu Kosai Telechu, Umitzasai Teshmoru, if you walk in my ways, you listen to my mitzvos, and then Hashem says, I'm going to give you all of these things. And they're all physical, material blessings. So the Arachayim and other commentaries point out, doesn't this really seem like this is reward for mitzvos in this world? And the Arachayim says something amazing. He says, no, it's not reward. It's not reward. HaKadosh Baruch Hu realizes that for most of us, in order to go ahead and perform spiritually, my material comfort must be intact. 
This is a very important idea, right? In order for me to go ahead and really function in a proper way, my, my, my gashmius has to be taken care of. And this is very important because, again, very often Jews are uncomfortable speaking about gashmius, right? They think gashmius is, is bad. Gashmius is great, Right? Gashmius is only bad if you misuse it. It's only bad if you overindulge in it. It's only bad if you make it the center of your universe. But HaKadosh Baruch Hu says, of course you need Gashmius. How are you supposed to go ahead and focus on your spirituality if you can't pay your mortgage? And how are you supposed to focus on your personalistic holiness, if you don't have some level of physical comfort and security, are there people in this world who don't need that? Absolutely. There are people like that who do not need their gashmius in order to have their ruchmius. Most of us need to know our gashmius is taken care of, right? Our, our physical needs are taken care of in order to focus on our spirituality. So this is an incredible idea. So David HaMelech, so again, to kind of be that full circle. So therefore the Arachayim says, it's not that Hashem is rewarding us for performing mitzvos. It's that Hashem is saying, if you exhibit the proper spiritual decisions, then I will give you the accompanying material blessings that give you a sense of physical comfort so that you could focus on your spirituality. Because spirituality for most of us requires a baseline of physical comfort and security. So therefore, again, David HaMelech says, HaKadosh Baruch Hu, when I suffer, Elokim Mayim When I'm physically suffering, it's not just my body that's in peril, but it's my spirituality as well. But I'll point out something very interesting. Because this expression of Hoshi'eni Elokim Mayim Ad you find it used in a couple of different circumstances in Chazal. For example, take a look at number five. I'll just show you some examples of this. It's interesting. The Gemara, just to give you the context, the Gemara is describing the scene by Yamsuf. Remember again, the Jews have left Egypt. The Egyptian army is in, is in pursuit. The Jews find themselves by the banks of the Red Sea. Seas in front of them. Ultimately, again, the Egyptians are in back of them. So there are two versions of the Gemara. The first version of the Gemara has the tribes arguing with each other about who's going to get to go into the sea first. In the second version, you look at this, Ella, In the second version of the Gemara, the tribes are arguing with each other, not about who's going in first, but just the opposite. No one wants to go in first. You know, I'm not going in first. I'm not going in first. They're arguing with each other. So what happens? As everyone is arguing with each other, Kafatz Nachshon Ben Aminadav So as the tribes are arguing about who's not going in first, Nachshon Ben Aminadav enters into the water himself. He enters in. He walks in first. And if you look at the end of number five, Va'alav Mefarish Elokim. The Gemara says, Nachshon ben Aminadav walks into the water and he walks in a little further and he walks in a little further and he keeps on walking in until he's up to his neck in water and he says, HaKadosh Baruch Hu, do something, do something. I walked into the water, I exhibited a belief in you, I was literally willing to walk into the raging sea because I believed in you, now do your part. 
Now do your part. Another use of this expression, number six. So Yonah, Yonah, Yonah Hanavi, in a little bit of a different phrase, Afafuni Mayim Ad Nefesh. Remember again, this is part of the tefillah of Yonah when he is inside of the fish, he's inside of the dag. He says, Afafuni Mayim Ad Nefesh. Water has surrounded me even to the soul. Now for Yonah, this was not simply a metaphor, but this was actually quite literal. He's in the belly of the fish, right? In the depths of the sea. So literally again, afafuni mayim ad nafesh. So just interesting. Everyone's using the same metaphor. David HaMelech, save me Hashem, because literally the water is about to overtake my soul. Nachshon ben Aminadav, HaKadosh Baruch I did my part. I did my part. I did my part. What else do you want from me? If you don't step in now, I'm gone forever. Yonah, a very similar idea as well. Afafuni mayim anefesh. The Yonah story, which is not a topic for tonight, is actually quite fascinating as well. Yonah running away from HaKadosh Baruch Hu, not because he does not believe in God, and not because at the end of the day he doesn't want to be a trusted servant of God. He runs away because he does not want to carry through on this mission, because he understands that by going to Ninveh, and it being the instrument of repentance for Ninveh, that is the ultimate condemnation of the Jewish people. So you see this expression used by people, when they feel like they've done everything in their power, but yet feel like they're going to be swept away by the waters of life. David, I've done everything. I've, I've done everything. Literally again, I don't know what else to do. I've done everything. Yonah, I've done everything. Not what you asked me, but I did everything I was supposed to do. And again, I'm at the end of my rope. I can't do any more. I now need you to step in. But I'll show you one more use of this. Take a look at number seven. An incredible and overwhelming medrash. The medrash writes in number seven, listen to this. So to give you the context, So remember again, Avram, according to many of the commentaries, Avram's last and final test was the willingness to offer up his one and only son to offer up Yitzchak as a carbon, as an offering. So the Torah says, on the third day, Avram Avinu approaches Haramoria. He approaches, right? He approaches Mount Moriah, right? The future site of the Beis Hamikdash, where the Akedah is going to occur. So the Gemara says, "I don't understand." V'chime achar shaderach krova lamenes akiv shloshas yamin. Why did it take Avram Avinu three days to go from his home and to arrive by Haramoria? It's not a three-day journey. So why did it take so long? So listen to this: Kevan shera shelokiblu mimenu. So the Medrash here describes something amazing. The Medrash describes that as Avram Avinu is on his way to the Akedah, to, right, to literally go ahead and slaughter and offer up his one and only son, offer up his Yitzchak, the Satan, we spoke on this before, right? The Satan, which represents the internal self-sabotaging mechanisms of man. The Satan tries to derail Avram's mission. So what does the Satan do? So Satan tried a couple of things, but one of the last things he did is he makes himself into a very large body of water, right? The Satan makes or creates a large body of water. Miad. So what does if so? Avinu, Avinu is on his way to do the will of God to offer up his son. Now suddenly comes upon this large body of water. So what does Avraham do? Miad, Yarad Avram 
Avram Avinu goes into the water. What are you supposed to do? Cross, cross the body of water. V'higiu ad birkov. He gets up to his knees. So Avram Avinu goes in first, right? And because he doesn't, no one knows the depth of the water. So he walks in. It's up to his knees. He says, okay, this is not so deep. He tells Yitzchak, Yishmael, Eliezer, because everyone's there. Come follow me into the water. Kevin Shegel Chatzianar. Armavinu gets to the middle of the river, middle of the river, and the water is up to his neck. In that moment, Armavinu looked up towards the heavens. So Armavinu again says, Hashem, Baruch you chose me, you chose me, and you appeared to me. And you said to me, Avram, I, God, am singular. And Avram, you're unique in that you're a singular personality as well. And God says to Avram, you will make my name known throughout this world. You asked me to sacrifice Yitzchak, and here I stand ready to comply. And here I am ready and willing to fulfill your commandment. And can't go anymore. I'm literally up to my neck in water. I'm up to my neck in water. If I go any further and it gets any deeper, I will drown. Right? If I or my son Yitzchak, if we drown, tell me who will uphold your teachings or who will uphold your word, who will make your name known. Baruchu heard Avramavinu's supplicative plea, dried out the river, and Avramavinu emerged on the other side on his way to the Akedah. So isn't this incredible? Avramavinu on the way to the Akedah finds himself again in what we'll call it satanic waters, right? The Satan makes himself into a river in an effort to derail Avram Avinu's mission of the Akedah. Avram goes in, goes as far as he possibly can, and uses these words, Elohim ba'umayim ad nafesh. I can't go anymore. I can't go anymore. See, either you help me now, or this is the end. And this is the end. And sure enough, HaKadosh Baruch Hu comes along and helps him out. Before we go on and explain this, I just want to point out that if you'll notice, there's a very strong similarity between the Nachshon story and the Avram Avinu story. Right? Both are stories of men going into bodies of water with complete trust in Hashem. They get up to their necks in water, and what do they say? What do they say? Can't go anymore. And this by itself is an incredible lesson. That the way life works is we put in the maximum amount of effort, but then there does come a certain point in time where my effort ends. My hishtadlus ends. And in that moment, I have a right to say to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, I've done my part. I've done my part. Now the rest is up to you. The rest is up to you. 
Of course, what's the million dollar question? Right? How much hishtadlus is enough hishtadlus? Right? How much effort is really the requisite amount of effort? And this, of course, is a difficult question to ask. Or a different question is easy to ask. Difficult question to answer. Right? And there's no one answer because every single situation is different. But this is an incredible metaphor for life. This is what happens in all of our life situations. I put in my effort, but there comes this point where I reach the middle of the river. And I, I've, I've traversed, I've gone as far as I can, I've done as much as I can. And it's at that moment when almost like I yield to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. And I say, I've done my peace. I've done my peace. If you want to help me, great. If you don't want to help me, the journey ends here. I've done everything I could possibly do. It's incredible. Nachshon gets to the middle of the Yamsov. I can't go anymore. Armavinu gets to the middle of the river. I did everything I can. Baruch Hu, now it's your turn, which also tells you something else. Something incredible. You know, I used to say this all the time in my, uh, in my Ma'alot class. I would always ask the girls the same question. I said, what does the Jew do in a time of distress? What's the first thing you do in a time of distress? And the answer is? Right? Da. So people often say davin. Davin. So the truth is, no. The first thing you do in a state of distress is you figure out what you can do to alleviate your distress. Right? In other words, the first thing you do is hishtadlus, like lahavdil, lahavdil. Right? You know, you're on an airplane, you watch the, you watch the video, you know, the safety video, right? There's, when there's a decrease in cabin pressure, right? The masks will fall from above you. And what's the first thing you do? Right? Even if you're on Elal, no one tells you to take out your safer tehillim, right? What's, what's the first thing you do? What's the first thing you do? You put on your mask. You put on your mask. Ah, but come on, that's not from. Right? Let me take out a tilling first, say I got people, then I'll put on the mask. No, no, you put on the mask first. When you are in distress, the first thing you do is not say, God, what are you going to do about this? But you say, What am I going to do about this? What am I? Now, again, it doesn't mean that you can't be davening at the same time, right? You can be davening at the same time you're putting in your effort. But sometimes you have a little bit of a skewed view when it comes to crisis. And we think that often the first step in addressing crisis is a spiritual response. But sometimes the first step in addressing crisis is what can I physically do? What can I do? What's my hishtadlos? So again, by the way, the proof to this is, if you notice, by the way, when Avinu sees the river, right? You would have thought Avinu's on his way to the river. Oh, on the way to the Akedah. What should he do when he sees the river? What should he do? Right? Davin. The river. No, what does he do? He tries to cross it. Nachshon ben Aminadav. Sees a Yamsuf. What does he do? He tries to cross it. And in fact, remember, by the Yamsuf, when Moshe Rabbeinu begins to dive into HaKadosh Baruch Hu, what's HaKadosh Baruch Hu's response to Moshe? Such a profound response. Why are you, Why are you davening? Why are you davening? Daber Davening is great. Davening is great. But what's also great is figuring out how to take the reins of your circumstances and to go ahead and try to make things better. All too often, we place complete responsibility for salvation on the Ribbono Shal Olam's shoulders. Now, God has very broad shoulders, Baruch Hashem. But we also have a responsibility for salvation. 
We also have a responsibility to be the agents of our own salvation. It's not all up to God. I mean, it is all up to God. But I have to do my part as well. Nachshon walks in. Avram walks in. And so there's this incredible dialectic that Chazal are highlighting to us as well. Put in your hishtadlos. Try to do your effort. Try to make things happen. Try to turn things around for yourself. Does there come a point in time where I've exhausted my effort? Absolutely. Absolutely. And does it come a point in time where like, Avram, like, Nachshon, I say, Elohim, I can't do anymore. I literally can't do anymore. I've done everything. Absolutely. That moment comes. And when that moment comes, you have the absolute right, to place the entire burden on the remote. I've done my part. But you don't have the right to place the burden on HaKadosh Baruch Hu until I know with certainty that I've done my part. An incredibly profound use that David HaMelech is teaching us. But let's focus on the Arma Vinu story for just a moment. So it's interesting. If you look at number eight, Rav Schwab, in his Sefer Mayan Beis HaShoeva, says something so beautiful. I apologize for the smallness of the print. He says, Venira. So he, he's, he's wondering as follows. You know, see here, the Medrash tells us that the Satan is trying to derail Avram Avinu. And how does he try to derail Avram Avinu? By essentially turning himself into a river. Trying to block Avram Avinu from crossing and getting to the Akedah. So ask Rav Shwab, you know, the Satan could have derailed, or tried to derail Avram Avinu in so many different ways. Why does he choose to present as a river, as water. And Rav Schwab here says something so beautiful. He says, Venira, sheyadua sheveloshin chazal, hamayim meramzim lechased vaish ledin. Ve'im kain, so first of all, Schwab says, what does water represent? So water represents a lot of things. But water, Rav Schwab says, represents chesed. Chesed, Torah. Water represents chesed. So what was the Satan doing? Ve'im kain, so listen to what Rav Schwab says so beautifully. What's the metaphor here? That Avram Avinu is up to his neck in water. Rav Schwab says something so beautiful. Water is chesed. Avram Avinu is on his way to the Akedah. And do you know what Avram Avinu thinks to himself? Like, think about this. Try to get in Avram Avinu's head. If you're Avram Avinu, and you're on your way to the Akedah, and you're almost by Hara Moria, what's the thought that's going through your head? What's the thought? What's going on over here? I can't do this. I can't do this. I've built an entire persona on What? Chesed. Avram Avinu is the Isha Chesed. Avram Avinu ultimately again is the man of goodness, of kindness, of giving. How can I do this? Says Rav Schwab something absolutely amazing, which is Avram Avinu is about to drown in the water of Chesed. Avram Avinu was so overwhelmed by his desire to do good to bestow good, that he almost became paralyzed. How could I go ahead and carry through on the Akedah? How could I slaughter my one and only son? 
how can I possibly bring myself to do this? Says Rav Schwab, that's in Rav Menu, says, Ba'u mayim ad nafesh. Do you know who I am? I'm the Isha Chesed. I've spent an entire life focusing on the Midah. I don't know if you know, his Midah is Chesed. His Midah is kindness. And now, God, you want me to do something that is the very antithesis of kindness? I can't do it. I can't do it. Ki ba'u mayim ad nafesh. So it says Rav Schwab so beautifully. Avram Avinu's struggle in the river, struggle in the water, represents his struggle with chesed. All I want to do is be the man of kindness. And now I'm being asked to become the very antithesis of who I have struggled to become my entire life. You know, you have to understand something. People think, people think that Avram Avinu, that Avram Avinu, like, his natural inclination was just to be an Isha Chesed, right? People often think that like Bali Chesed are born that way. Very often, if you look at the greatest Bali Chesed of, of our people's history, they were naturally and innately self-centered, selfish people. But they worked on themselves in incredible ways to become selfless, kind, and giving people. Bali Chesed often again are not born that way, they make themselves into that. We say, says, I've created an identity. I've created, become an Isha Chesed. And now again, you want me to do something that is the antithesis of that. He's struggling in the water. So what's the end of the story? What's the end of the story? You know the end of the story. Avinu is able to overcome the water, right? He gets through the water. What does it mean he gets through the water? He crosses the water. What does that mean? He's able to set aside his Chesed. Because remember again, you can't slaughter your child and be an Isha Chesed. It, do, it, doesn't, it doesn't work. You have to transform yourself into someone else. Sa'arim Avinu manages to get across the water, transforming himself from an Isha Chesed into something else. Into something, into something else. I, I, by the way, I'll point out something very interesting. What does Chesed mean in Hebrew? What does Chesed mean? Kindness. Kindness. What else does it mean? Immorality. When the Torah speaks about, for example, the zona, the prostitute, the harlot, the Torah refers to activities as a chesed. What, what does that mean? Because think about this for just a moment, right? What's immorality? If you think about it, what's immorality? It's being a little too kind to too many people, right? So that, that's immorality, right? So again, interestingly enough, Avma Vinu ultimately again takes the need of chesed and what he does is, is that he's able to morph it into something else. So up until now, my chesed, my chesed was the ability to bestow kindness. Now, I've transformed that meat into something else. Either I've put it away, I've compartmentalized it, but I have become a different person. This, this is the part of the Akedah we often don't realize. For Avraham Avinu to hold a knife to his son's neck and be willing to slaughter his son, he had to become someone different. It's not the same Avraham Avinu. The Avraham Avinu who got to, when he was standing at the banks of the water, so he's going to the Medrash, that was Avraham Avinu Isha Chesed. By the time he gets to the other side of the river, he is someone totally different. The Avraham Avinu were introduced in the beginning of Parshas Lachlacha, could have never done the Akedah. He could not have done it. He could host people, he could have a tent that's open on all four sides, but he could not have slaughtered his son.
Adam Avinu undergoes a fundamental metamorphosis and becomes someone different. Now this is important because, yes? Could you say that the water, sort of like the waters of a mikvah, are also, you go in one way and you Absolutely, absolutely, right? There's, there's this cathartic effect of the waters, absolutely. He went in one person and he comes out someone totally different. Beautiful, beautiful. This helps to explain something that always bothered me. If you take a look at number nine, the Pasuk says, Vayikra, I love Malach Hashem in Hashemayim. Vayomer, I love Avram, Avram, Vayomer, Ineni. So remember again, Avram Avinu is right about the Shech Yitzchak. In the last moment, the Malach calls out, he says, Avram, Avram. Avram says, yes, I'm here. Vayomer, al tishach yad chalanar. Do not stretch your hand out to the, to the boy. Don't do anything to him. Because now I know that you're a God-fearing man and you did not withhold your son, your only son, from me. So Rashi is bothered by a simple idea. The Pasuk is repetitive. Once you say, Do not stretch your hand towards the lad. Why do you also have to say, don't do anything to him. So Rashi says something I've always thought was so strange. Look at number 10. Rashi says, So listen to this. So God says to Avram, don't shech the Yitzchak. And what does Avram say to Hashem? If that's the case, then I've made this whole trip for nothing. This is Avram Avinu's wife. I've made this whole trip for nothing. Let me give him a little cut. Let, let me give him a little cut. Draw a little blood. No, don't do anything to Yitzchak. Not even a blemish. It's so bizarre. You would think if you're Avram Avinu, and HaKadosh Baruch Hu calls out to you literally again in the last moment and says, don't do anything to the child. What's Avram Avinu's reaction? What would you think his reaction would be? Baruch Hashem. Baruch Hashem, right? Uh, bar, I was ready, but Baruch Hashem. Instead, Rashi paints a picture, almost sounds like what? Disappointment. I was like, I was kind of looking forward to this. You know, you know I, was, I, I, was, I, I was all ready. I was all ready. You know, you know I'm in a shechtim fight. Can, can I draw a little blood? Can I do a little... What? What's going on over here? But now it makes sense. You see what Avram Avinu was saying is, HaKadosh Baruch Hu. You forced me to become someone different. I became someone different. Now what should I do with this koach? Arminu doesn't want to shecht his son. But let me do something. I, I changed. I changed, right? I crossed the river, right? I went to the mikvah. I became someone different. I struggled with the waters. I was about to drown in chesed and give up on the ability to fulfill this task. But I fundamentally changed myself into someone else. Someone who is ready to sacrifice to somebody. Do you know what it means, the willingness to sacrifice your child? I mean, we don't know, but do you know what it means on a, on a spiritual level? What that means is that your love of God trumps every other love in your life. That's what it means. That I love HaKadosh Baruch Hu more than my spouse, more than my parents, and even more than my child. That's, that's what Adam Avinu became. That the love of, my love for HaKadosh Baruch Hu, it, 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 it's, it's the most superior love in my life. So now I'm ready. And I'm ready. I have all this koach. 
You tell me not to shecht. But shouldn't I do something? Sh- shouldn't I do something with this kalach? And what does the Kaddish Baruch Hu tell him? What does he tell him? No. No. Because ultimately, what was Hashem telling the Kaddish Baruch Hu? Sorry, what was the Kaddish Baruch Hu telling Avinu? That sometimes in life, you have to change and become someone different because of difficult circumstances. But then you also have to find the courage and the strength to reclaim your previous persona as well. You see, there's an interesting thing about life. Well, there are many interesting things about life. But often, in order to meet certain challenges, we have to become someone different. But the problem is when I become someone different, I often have to give up certain beautiful parts of my personality. And success in life means being able to change into someone different to meet the challenges, but then being able to reclaim the beautiful parts of my personality that I once possessed. So Avraham Avinu transforms from the Ish HaChasad right into the Ish HaDin, from a man of kindness into a man of strict justice, a man who is willing to place the love of God above anything and everything. And now HaKadosh Baruch Hu tells Avram, now I need you to go back and once again become the Isha Chasad. I need you to reclaim that part of your persona that you had to give up. I was thinking about this idea because the truth is, how often does this happen to us in life? Think about just in our, in our own personal maturation. You know, that, that if you think about it, we start off in life and we're young. Yeah, we start off in life when we're young. That's number one, right? And then what happens? We get older, right? And often when we're young, we're idealistic and we're optimistic and we see the good in people and we see the good in situations and we see the silver linings in life. And then what happens? We get older. We suffer adversity. We suffer setback. Sometimes we suffer tragedy. And so I realize I can't be that naive 20, 30, or even 40-year-old anymore, right? I have to mature. And I have to look at life through grown-up glasses. And I have to recognize that not everything is easy, and not everyone is nice, and not everyone is kind, and not everything seems to have a silver... I, 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 ha- I have to see things. But all too often what ends up happening is we forget, so we change, we change, right? And we adapt. And we become someone new, someone stronger, someone a little less outgoing, someone a little less optimistic because I need to meet the challenges in life. But then after we get through the challenges, we have to figure out how to reclaim some of those beautiful aspects of our youth as well. You know who is the paradigmatic example of this besides Avram? Even a better example of this was Sari Imenu. The Torah says, I didn't put this on the sheet, but the Torah says, Dayu chaye Sarah, Mea Shana, Ve'esim Shana, Ve'sheva Shanim. So I mean, it was 100, 120, 127 years old. But the way the Torah says is 100 years old, 20 years old, 7 years old. And Rashi has his approach, right? That ultimately, again, when she was 100, she was like 20 regarding sin, just like a 20-year-old is not held responsible. So she she didn't have any sin at the age of 100. And when she was 20, she had an innocent beauty like a seven-year-old. Rabbi Soloveitchik says something so beautiful. He says a little bit differently. He says that the greatness of Sari Imenu 
was that she took the different stages of life with her, one into the next, into the next. That when she was a hundred, she still had the idealism of a 20-year-old. And when she was 20, she still maintained some of the beautiful innocence and simple happiness of a seven-year-old. You see, we often look at life as a linear progression. And we go from stage to stage to stage. And we assume that we go from one stage to another. That stage is behind me. Close the door on that. But successful living actually requires me to take different parts of different stages along with me in life. I should never lose my optimism. And I should never lose my idealism. And I should never lose my faith in people. And I should never lose the ability to see the good. And I should never lose, you know, second chance. You know, one of the great things about kids, one of the best things about kids is what happens when young children get into like a massive fight. It's amazing to look at. What happens? What happens? Five minutes later, best friends. Everybody's great. Everybody's great. Can you imagine if adults had that kolach? Right? Why is it that by the time we turn 15, we lose the ability to do that? We lose the ability to do that. And what about the way we look at the world? And I told this story a number of years ago in a Shabbos Trasha. But I remember, I haven't, I haven't seen it around. They used to have this ice cream truck, right? That used to go around Baltimore. What was it? What was it called? Uncle, Do- Uncle Dovey's Uncle Dovey's ice cream truck. Do you remember this? I don't, I don't know. At least it used to come down our block. And I remember summertime, we'd be sitting at the, at the table eating dinner. And you'd hear like, you know, like that annoying jingle, right? So it'd come. And my youngest, my Nechama, would hear it, would hear it. And she would say, Tati, can we go? All right, so we went. So we'd go outside. We always used to miss it. One time we came outside and he was driving down. Now, it wasn't an ice cream truck. It wasn't an ice cream truck. It was a van with an air conditioner in the back of it, right? That, that's what it was, literally like a van, like with the air conditioner, this was it. I'm like, I, I saw it, I'm like, wow, that's so sad, right? And my Nechama was like, Tati, isn't it incredible, right? She was so awestruck by this retrofitted van with an air conditioner in the back window that was selling ice cream out of the glove compartment, right? But, but ultimately, so I'm looking at this like my cynical, jaded self, like, this is so Baltimore, so Baltimore. We, we can't even get like an ice cream truck, right? Come on, come on, right? And, and meanwhile, and mean, I'm a transplant. I have to say things like that, right? So, so, so ultimately, again, and, and meanwhile, she's looking at it and she's like awestruck, awestruck. And I remember in that moment thinking to myself, like, I wish I had her eyes. I wish I saw the world like that. I wish I wasn't always so cynical. And I wish I wasn't always so jaded. And I wish I wasn't always so sarcastic. And sometimes I just saw things for the simple beauty they possessed. But you see, as we get older, we forget about beautiful qualities we had in previous stages because we assume that they just no longer apply. And what successful living requires is to mature with every stage, but also to take the beautiful qualities from previous stages along with us in life. Mea shana, the esim shana, the shevashan. The greatness of Sarah is she took the innocence of her childhood and the idealism of her young adulthood into her, you, into her elderly years, into her, into her 100 years. That was the greatness of Sarah. The greatness of Avinu 
was that HaKadosh Baruch Hu tells Avinu, I so appreciate and am in awe that you transformed from an Isha Chesed, a man of kindness, into a man of strict justice. Now you know what I want you to do? You know what I want you to do? What do I want you to do? What do I want you to do? Change back. And by the way, you want to something amazing? Was Avram being able to do it? Do you know what the next event after the Akedah is? The death of Sari Imenu. Avraham buries his beloved life partner. You know what burying the dead is called? Chesed Shalemes. The highest level of chesed. The kindness you do for the dead is the highest level of kindness for there is no possibility of reciprocity. So isn't this incredible? Avram Avinu gets to the banks of the water. I'm about to drown in the water of chesed. I'm Isha chesed. He transforms into someone else, the man of strict justice, so, such a man of din, that literally, even when God says, don't touch Yitzchak, come on, let me draw a little bit of blood, something, something, something. Because Rahul says, no, change back to the Isha Chesed. And Arma Avinu is successfully able to reclaim his personality of Chesed. The proof to that is, right? Vayavo Avraham, lispod lisara velivkosa. The very next event of Avma Avinu is burying his beloved wife, bargaining for Marasa Machpela, burying his wife. Avma Avinu demonstrates to us the ability to change and change back. And perhaps to kind of bring this full circle, that's what David Amalek is telling us in this capital as well. That when David Amalek says, Hoshi'ini Elokim ki ba'umayim ad navesh. David HaMelech is saying, there are so many challenges in my life and I have to always change and adapt to meet those challenges. And I'm able to do it. But you know what one of the sad things is? That there are parts of my identity that I have lost along the way. Right? Think about this. If you're David HaMelech and you've faced a lifetime of adversity and difficulties from Every, every end, family, we spoke about it so many times, family difficulties, internal difficulties, external difficulties. And David Amalek says, in life, you have to morph. You have to change in order to meet your challenges. And David Amalek says the same words as Avram Avinu, Hoshi'eni elokim ki mayim ad nafesh. Hashem, I know that I need to change in order to meet my challenges. But at the same time, I don't want to lose all of the beautiful things that were once part of my personality as well. Just because life has hardened me as a result of my challenges, I don't want to lose the innocence. I don't want to lose the optimism. I don't want to lose what's called the joie de vie, you know, the joy of life. I don't want to lose the things that are good, that are beautiful. I don't want to lose my idealism. I don't want to lose my rose-colored glasses. I don't want to lose the ability to see the good in people, the good in situations. And that's what David HaMelech is struggling with. Everybody struggles with that point where they're about to drown in the water. So there are some people like Nachshon who are drowning because they say, I've put in my maximum hishtadlus. There's nothing more I can do. If you're going to help me, now is the time. If not, this is the end of the road. And then there's another kind of struggle, the struggle of Avram, the struggle of David Amalek, of people who have to change in order to meet their life challenges 
but at the same time also want to find the koach to reclaim those parts of their persona that they have lost. To change, but then find the challenge to change back. And I think that this is something they could really take to heart. And I think about this all the time, which is we all change over the course of life. But what an instructive exercise it would be to think about, well, what are the midos that I have lost along the journey? As a result of my difficult circumstances, what are the parts of my personality that I've had to give up? Right? And we, we all have things like that. Just pieces of us that I've had to compartmentalize, put away, fundamentally change because I've had to become someone different to meet my challenges. And to identify those things that we've had to give up, but maybe to also identify those things we'd like to reclaim. Who wouldn't like their youthful idealism back? Right? Can you imagine what it would be like to be idealistic once again? And not to always feel so cynical. And not to always feel so jaded. And how beautiful would it be to once again have dreams and aspirations and believe in myself and have a magnificent vision. I once had all of those things. Sometimes as a result of the difficulties in life, I just stopped thinking that way. To identify maybe the one or two or three things that we've given up over the course of the journey of life and like Avram Vinu, figure out how to reclaim them. And as I was thinking about this, we're Zohar to learn this piece on Rosh Chodesh Adar. Rosh Chodesh Adar, it's Rosh Chodesh. And you know, the beauty of Rosh Chodesh, the beauty of Rosh Chodesh, we say in Musaf, Roshay Chadoshim Li'amchon Asata. The beauty of Rosh Chodesh is Rosh Chodesh is a new beginning. A new beginning, right? In other words, what was, whatever happened last month happened. Like, last month, done. Done, done, done. Next month, who knows what's going to be? But there is a brand new month ahead of me. And even another Aleph, Mishinichnas Adar, Marbin Besimcha. And the greatest joy, the greatest joy is the joy of reinvention. The greatest joy is the joy of remaking yourself. The greatest joy is the ability to say, you know what? I don't have to be the same person I was. I can become someone different. I can become someone better. I don't have to live the same life that I've been living all this time. I could choose a different derech. Hoshi'eni elokim ki ba'omayim ad nafesh. Is David Malach telling us, I struggle to change and I struggle to change back. We say we struggle to change and we struggle to change back. So we should be zoha in this month of Adar, this Rosh Chodesh, to internalize this message of David Malach. So first of all, when we have to adapt... And when we have to change to meet the challenges of life, may we be zochemir Hashem to find the koach to do so. But after we successfully navigate the challenges, to identify the things we had to give up, and then to find the strength to reclaim them. We'll stop over here for tonight. Then we're going to spend one more week on Kapitol Samech Tess. I apologize, but we didn't tie this into Parshas Truma. But I did write Truma on the source sheet. So I feel at least it's a partial partial Italian, at least with the word. And we're going to continue next week. Have a wonderful evening.